I suppose we should look into the Word of God this morning. Amen? We are continuing on this journey through the life of Daniel from the Old Testament. Um, And last Sunday, we read through Daniel chapter 4, and we explored this very odd story about King Nebuchadnezzar's bout with insanity. And and that story ended in the end of chapter 4 a little bit unresolved. There's a lot of, you know, well, what really happened to questions about that that we don't have. Uh, But certainly the message from Scripture was secure. We're going to continue chronologically following Daniel, but in order to do that today, we can't just turn the page and read chapter 5. We're going to have to skip ahead all the way to chapter 7. The reason for that is, as I've said, I want us to follow Daniel's life chronologically. And in the book of Daniel, the first half of the book tells several of the stories of his life. The second half of the book catalogs some of the dreams and the visions that Daniel had. And so in order to continue to follow a natural chronological progression, what we have to do now is leave chapter 4, skip ahead to chapter 7, because Daniel had a dream. Daniel had a dream. And so today I'm going to be reading from chapter 7. Now this isn't even chronologically This isn't right after the events of chapter 4. What we have here is a gap. A gap in the historical timeline, a long time when when nothing uh, is recorded in Scripture because apparently there was nothing that the Holy Spirit needed us to know about those years. The events in chapter 7 are are focused on a dream that Daniel had, and we can say with relative confidence that this dream took place in or about the year 552 B.C., which is about 25 years after the events in chapter 4, the whole insanity situation. So if you've been with us for the past few weeks, I just want you to kind of file that away in your mental timeline here. We have the events that we talked about last week in Daniel chapter 4, and now about 25 years have gone by And then we're going to read from chapter 7. What that means is that Daniel is now in his late 60s. Nebuchadnezzar has died actually quite some time ago. And a succession of four other kings have held the throne in Babylon. Most of them have been pretty ineffective, bumbling guys. The Bible doesn't tell us really anything about any of them. But we know from secular history that their reign and their rule was not terribly impressive. None of them has been as successful as as Nebuchadnezzar was. And here's Daniel. And I just got to wonder, I wonder if he's tired. I would be. He's at an age now where, at least in our culture, he should be thinking about retirement. I don't know what the Medicare plan was in ancient Babylon, (laughs) but he's tired, I would think. And instead of thinking about retirement, Here he is still serving the latest king of Babylon. This time, it's a king named Belshazzar who is actually co-regent or co-king with his father. Belshazzar has control over Babylon itself and the capital province and the immediate urban area. And while he's doing that, his dad is managing the affairs of more of the outer reaches of the empire. And the empire is, is not going particularly well. The biggest political issue among many that Belshazzar and his father are facing is that out to their east, there is this rising empire of Medes and Persians. 
And they're becoming a bigger and bigger problem for Babylon, but more on them later. In any case, this is certainly not the strong, prosperous kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar had overseen. But here's Daniel, still with them, still doing his best to live with righteousness in the midst of ruin. Day by day, for almost 50 years now, a total of 50 years, Daniel has served the kings of the empire that destroyed his homeland, took him captive, and set themselves up against the righteousness of God every day for 50 years. And then, one night, God gave Daniel a dream. And we'll read about that dream in Daniel chapter 7. I'm going to read beginning in verse 2. In my vision that night, I, Daniel, saw a great storm churning the surface of a great sea with strong winds blowing from every direction. Then four huge beasts came, out, came up out of the water, each different from the others. The first beast was like a lion with eagle's wings. And you'll read for yourself. He goes on to describe it in more detail. Then I saw a second beast, and it looked like a bear. Again, he goes to describe it in more detail. Then the third of these strange beasts appeared, and it looked like a leopard. And again, he describes it in a bit more detail. But then he says, then in my vision that night, I saw a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, and very strong. It devoured and crushed its victims with huge iron teeth and trampled their remains beneath its feet. It was different from any of the other beasts, and it had ten horns. Let's pause there. Daniel's dream is essentially this. There's a giant storm on a giant sea, and from the midst of the storm, four terrifying mythological creatures arise out of the sea, one at a time, and each one goes on to create havoc on the earth. And the first of the three beasts bears some resemblance to a creature that Daniel can describe. We've got lions and leopards and bears. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I even put them out of order there for you, but yeah. Lions and leopards and bears, oh my. Right, but each of them has, has some sort of extra, it's not just a lion, right? There's some sort of extra feature that makes them even more terrifying. There's wings, there's human likeness, there's multiple heads on, on the leopard. There's, there's different things that make this more than just your typical lions and leopards and bears, oh my. But the fourth beast, Daniel says, the fourth beast is by far the scariest. The fourth beast didn't even look like any particular animal that Daniel could describe. He can't give it, he can't say, well, it was kind of like this because it wasn't kind of like anything he had ever seen before. It was clearly stronger than the other three beasts. Now, later on in Daniel's dream, he's going to be told exactly what the beasts represent. If you skip ahead to verse 17, it says these four huge beasts represent four kingdoms that will rise from the earth. But you know what? I don't think Daniel actually needed that explanation. I'm speculating here, but I'm guessing that he remembered the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had had 50 years earlier when Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar were just getting to know each other. You might recall we read that dream. It also involved four kingdoms, only it wasn't four different beasts. It was a huge statue made of four different metals. Now, Bible scholars have debated 
which four kingdoms are specifically represented here by Nebuchadnezzar's dream of four and, and by Daniel's dream of four. And I can tell you a pretty good case can be made historically for the fact that uh, what's being represented here is the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, and finally the Roman Empire. But there are other scholars who have speculated that maybe this is actually a broader view of human history. Maybe some of the empires being represented in these dreams haven't even shown up in our present reality yet. Maybe they're still in the future. Uh, maybe, 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 maybe the number four isn't even necessarily meant to be taken literally. Maybe this is symbolic, like from the north and the south and the east and the west. Maybe this is just saying a rise of world empire. Maybe, 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 could be. We could have those debates all day long and not settle them because... No one really has to this point. For our purposes, what I think is important is it, it doesn't really much matter whether we're talking about ancient empires or future empires, whether we're talking about four empires or if we're talking about worldly empires. What matters is this, the message that God is trying to convey to his servant, and it's this, fearsome kingdoms will come and go. Fearsome kingdoms will come and they will go. The Bible's perspective toward our future here on earth, you may know, it's not a terribly encouraging one. In both the Old and New Testaments, we have these hints that as time goes on, it's going to be harder and harder for godly people to live in righteousness. And just about the time that we think we've seen the pinnacle of evil, just about the time we think, well, the world couldn't get any more godless than it is right now, the fearsome beast that we know will fade away and be replaced by one even fiercer. Many of the Jews living in Babylon probably thought that Babylon was the most evil, the most ruinous kingdom that the world would ever see. They probably spent their prayer time begging for God to just destroy the Babylonians so that righteous people could get back to living as God had intended. But part of why Daniel was able to survive so well in Babylonian captivity Part of why he was able to persevere in righteousness despite being surrounded in ruin is because he didn't see that kingdom around him as a thing to be defeated or a thing to be destroyed. He saw it as the context in which he had been called to live righteously. There's a lot of evil in the world around us, isn't there? But the world around us isn't a thing to be destroyed by sheer force. It's the context in which you and I have been called as the people of God to live righteously. Now, of course, that doesn't mean we're, we, we're done uh, longing for change. It doesn't mean that we've given up. It doesn't mean that we don't want transformation. Don't you think that Daniel longed to see Nebuchadnezzar soften his heart toward the Lord? Don't you think that he longed to see Nebuchadnezzar finally give up his evil ways? Don't you think he appeared in the court on more than one occasion and said, you've got to change your evil ways, babe. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't you think he wanted that? I think we can make an excellent case that that's exactly what he wanted. But Daniel recognized that the best way of making that happen would be 
to bear witness to the righteousness of God in the midst of ruin. So let me ask you this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, who is your Nebuchadnezzar? Who is the one that God has sent you to bear witness to? Who might set aside the ways of ruin because of the righteousness that God puts on display through your life? That should be the perspective of righteous men and women who are living in kingdoms of ruin. Because even when the ruin of these earthly kingdoms is all that we can see, there's another reality that we need to be aware of. And Daniel's vision gives us a glimpse of that other reality because as we turn back to his vision, as these four beasts are continuing their work of terror, another image appears. I'm going to skip down to verse 9 and read about it for you. Daniel records, I watched as thrones were put in place and the ancient one sat down to judge. His clothing was white as snow, his hair like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire and a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its session and the books were opened. This is important. Daniel sees this image of a heavenly courtroom. All rise. And the four beasts haven't even passed away yet. The four beasts are still doing their evil thing. They are completely oblivious to the fact that a trial court is being set up over them as they continue in their evil ways. And as this court is assembled, God, or Daniel sees the one he calls the ancient one. Some of your translations might say the ancient of days. Come and take his seat on the bench. This is actually a very common ancient term. It just means Daniel saw God come and sit down on his throne to exercise judgment over what was happening before him. Court was called into order. The honorable ancient of days presiding. God is sitting in judgment over the powers of ruin in this world. The beasts are doing their evil deeds and they don't even realize that God has already taken the judge's bench. Daniel is being reminded here that fearsome kingdoms will come and go, but meanwhile, God reigns above all others. Meanwhile, I want you to underline that word. I want you to circle it. I want you to put a star next to it because I want you to understand that the hope of our hearts as the followers of Jesus Christ isn't that someday God will finally be in control. No, 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 no. That would be a miscarriage, a terrible misunderstanding of the gospel. The gospel, the good news is that God is already seated on the throne. The judgment has already begun. That even as we see the beasts roam the world, what they don't know is what we can see with eyes of faith. That God has already taken his place as the righteous judge. I'm not waiting for anything because it's already going on. Meanwhile, I say God reigns above all others. In 1954, the United States Supreme Court ruled in Brown v. the Board of Education that public schools could no longer be segregated by race. 
That immediately became the law of the land in the United States of America. But the law of the land was painfully slow to take place in, in many localities, especially in the American South. So three years later, in 1957, there were nine African-American students who enrolled in Central High School in Little Rock, Arkansas. They became known as the Little Rock Nine. There had never been black students in a white school in Little Rock. And so local authorities, white authorities, the mayor, the police force, the, the general public, they wanted to keep it that way. They wanted to keep their schools segregated despite the national law. So they attempted to block the Little Rock Nine from attending school. The governor of Arkansas even called up the Arkansas National Guard and armed them and ordered them to surround the school and deny entry to the Little Rock Nine. And so for several weeks at the beginning of that school year, armed guardsmen kept those nine students out of the school. Meanwhile, angry white crowds gathered and they screamed and they heckled and they even spat on the students, cheering for the guardsmen standing there holding their automatic weapons. And if you had visited Little Rock while that was going on, you would have thought the whole world was set up against the plight of the Little Rock Nine. I bring this up because I believe that's what it looks like when the kingdoms of this world hold power. The angry throng celebrates what is clearly ruinous. Violence and division and evil rule the day. And it seems like there's no stopping it. It seems like all of the strength and all of the power and all of the authority is on the side of evil. But the good news is that it only seems that way. Daniel's dream is a reminder that there is a higher authority that sits enthroned over the evil we see in the world. There was a higher authority with jurisdiction in Little Rock too, wasn't there? President Eisenhower called the governor of Arkansas and ordered him to stand down. The president put the troops of the Arkansas National Guard under his direct authority. He federalized the National Guard saying, you no longer uh, report to the governor, you report directly to me. And just in case that wasn't enough, President Eisenhower sent more than a thousand troops from the 101st Airborne Division Screaming Eagles to ensure that the Little Rock Nine could finally go to school. And so there was a legal principle that was, that was followed through with in this story. And the principle is this. Local authorities wield power and dominion in local places, but they do not have the final word. They are subject to a higher authority. Now let's not sugarcoat history. Life was not easy for the Little Rock Nine just because federal troops showed up. It wasn't easy for those children to go to school just because President Eisenhower was on their side. For the entire school year, those nine students were persecuted. They were punched, they were kicked, they were yelled at, they were screamed at, they were hated by most of the local community. And they became such a disruption to the status quo in Little Rock that the entire school system actually shut down the following year and nobody attended school. Righteousness and ruin is not an easy life. 
Even when the authority of God is on your side, there is persecution, there is opposition, there is oppression, and there is hatred. (laughs) Didn't Jesus tell us this? He said to his followers, hey, don't be terribly surprised if the world hates you. They hated me too. Righteousness is a disruption to the ways of ruin. And conflict with the world is inevitable. But God wants his people to remember that even when we feel overwhelmed by the power of the kingdoms of this world, God is already on the throne. And so the real power is his. The real authority is his. The real dominion is his. And whether we can see it or not, the real kingdom is his. While the eyes of the world are fixated on the four beasts, they don't realize that a higher court is already in session. So let's get back to Daniel's vision. (laughs) If you think you're confused by what's going on here, if you read chapter 7 ahead of this Sunday morning and said, I don't know what any of this is, you're in good company. You're in good company because the word of God tells us even Daniel doesn't understand what he's seeing. I imagine that in his ancient language, Daniel at some point said, (coughs) (laughs) (laughs) he doesn't understand what he's seeing. He's especially terrified by the fourth beast and its horns, but he can see angels are surrounding God and watching over everything. So he asks one of them. He says, hey, can you help me understand what's going on here? And he gets an answer. I'm going to read it to you beginning in verse 23. The angel said to me, this fourth beast is the fourth world power that will rule the earth. It will be different from all the others. It will devour the whole world, trampling and crushing everything in its path. Its ten horns are the ten kings who will rule that empire. Then another king will arise, different from the other ten, who will subdue three of them. He will defy the Most High and oppress the holy people of the Most High. He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws, and they will be placed under his control for time, times, and half a time. But then the courts will pass judgment and all of his power will be taken away and completely destroyed. I want you to notice this, what I'm about to say. Check this, check this. When the power of the beast is taken away, what does the angel tell Daniel? Then, then, the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will last forever. And all rulers will all all rulers will serve and obey him. Again, Daniel is reminded that the things on earth will often be very, very difficult for righteous, godly people. Now, much of this vision, I think you'll pick up on this, uh, seems to be pointing to things that will take place at the end of time. And a lot of the language that we have right here in Daniel chapter 7, we read again later on in our Bibles, don't we? When, When Jesus is talking about the end of time. And then we read it again in our Bibles if we go all the way to the back and open the book of Revelation. Some very, very similar images and teachings appear. There's a lot here that seems to be pointing to things that take place at the end of time. The final establishment of God's kingdom. What's interesting to me is that people in Daniel's day, godly people in Daniel's day, thought that that time might be coming very, very soon. 
they certainly hoped that it was, that the time when God would establish once and for all his kingdom on earth would be coming, perhaps even, dare they hope, in their lifetime. And then you fast forward 500 years or so to the days of Jesus, and we know clearly from Scripture that there were a lot of godly people who, who dared to hope that perhaps the final establishment of God's kingdom on earth would be established in, in, in their lifetime, and, and maybe they would be the ones to live and see, and maybe they even expected that that would be the case. And now here we are, roughly 2,000 years after that, and still we have godly people saying, I think this is it. I think this is the generation that will finally see the coming of the Lord Jesus and the establishment of God's kingdom on earth. And so we live with that hope and expectation that the people of God have been having for, for millennia. And, and that's okay. I, I think it's okay. I think it's more than okay. I think it's right and it's proper for us to live in eager expectation of the return of Jesus and the revelation of God's kingdom, to not be discouraged by the fact that generations have come before us with a similar expectation and have not lived to see it. Uh, we can't allow ourselves to be discouraged by that. But I, I think that whether or not, do you hear me? Whether or not you and I are indeed part of that final generation, whether or not, I think we can still take these kinds of lessons from Scripture and we can apply them to our lifetimes, whether we live to see him or not. And what are the lessons from Scripture? Well, we look back over the dream and we say this, evil kingdoms from this world are always going to be a part of our experience. And godly people will be persecuted by the evil powers of this world. The authorities of our world will, will overturn the God-ordained rhythms and orders of a righteous life. Did you catch that little bit in the dream? He said, well, he, he tried to change the timing and the ways that God, the rhythms that God had set up to life. To say this thing that God has created, this isn't how it really is. And this time that God has scheduled, that's not how it really works. All of these things contribute to the ruin that we see in the world around us. The story tells us that while we might cry out for God, to God, for redemption, God will stay his hand. And he will allow the kings of this world the ability to rule. But only for a finite time. Only for a finite time, because at his appointed time, his kingdom will be revealed and everything will be placed under his rule and reign. Amen. And for those who live as subjects of his righteousness, here's the best part. You ready for the best part? Oh my goodness, you guys have endured, you have endured, you have endured. Here's the best part. For those who live as subjects of his righteousness, we are heirs of God's eternal kingdom. That's the gospel. We are heirs of God's eternal kingdom. Don't sleep on the word heirs there because we aren't merely citizens of God's eternal kingdom. We aren't merely subjects of God's eternal kingdom. We are heirs of God's eternal 
kingdom. We have an inheritance. We have an inheritance that your eyes cannot fully see. We have an inheritance that your mind cannot fully conceive of because we are heirs of God's eternal kingdom. Did you catch it in Daniel's vision? Did you notice it in the story? When God's kingdom is fully established, a miraculous transaction takes place. I'm going to reread it. It was in verse 27. Then the sovereignty, the power, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High God who are heirs of his kingdom. That is what we were created for. You and I were not engineered to function well as captives or as slaves to fear and oppression. We were meant for something far greater than what the world can offer us. Did you know that? Let me... Let me break this down even more simply. You know why it's hard to be oppressed? (laughs) Did you ever think about that? Like, well, no, because that's kind of what oppression is. It means things are hard. No, 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 no. Do you know why it's hard? Do you know why it hurts to be in bondage? Do you know why it is painful to be enslaved to the powers of evil in this world? Do you know why that stinks? It's because that's not how you were designed to function. If you weren't designed to endure that, you were not engineered for that kind of existence. You were created in God's image for something much greater, for something much different than that. You were created in God's image. I take that to mean that you and I were designed to have dominion over the created order, to be, as the Bible would put it, stewards and co-regents over the created order of the universe. Did you catch that? We reign at the pleasure of our Father. We reign at the pleasure of our Father. How curious. I'm just going to toss this out for your your consideration. That this dream comes to Daniel during an era where King Belshazzar reigned at the pleasure of his Father. You think about that and get back to me. Where was I? (laughs) We were created to be stewards and regents over the created order of the universe, and that's how it was when Adam and Eve walked the garden, wasn't it? Yeah? Sin ruined God's perfect design. And it upended everything that God had intended for this life. But the promise of the kingdom is that his perfect order will be restored through faithfulness to Jesus. The Apostle Paul writes to his protege, Timothy, late in his life, 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, Timothy, you got to get this. If we die with him, speaking of the death and burial of Jesus, if we die with him, we will also live with him. And if we endure hardship, we will reign with him. We will reign with him. Today, that's the good news I want you to hear. When the kingdom of the lion comes, we will be made captives. When the kingdom of the bear comes, we will be made outcasts. 
When the kingdom of the leopard comes, we will be made prisoners. When the kingdom of the beast comes, we will be made slaves. But when the kingdom of God comes, we will be made conquerors. And the power and the rule and the authority of all the kingdoms that came before will be placed in our care as the holy people of the Most High God for the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior King. And that kingdom will last forever. Would you say amen to that? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So here's what I want you to do today. Here's what I want us to do. Here's what I believe the Spirit of God is saying in His Word for the faithful people of the Lord Jesus Christ today. Consider the world around us. Kings and kingdoms rule the day. Do you remember that, that the old song from my childhood? Was it the Gaithers? He's the kings and kingdoms shall all pass away. But there's something about that name, right? Kings and kingdoms do rule the day. Lions and leopards and bears, oh my! They roam the earth, devouring who they will. The righteous people of God have been exiled, just as Daniel was exiled to the kingdom of ruin. But with eyes of faith, you and I are invited today to hear the word of the Lord, and with eyes of faith to see beyond the vision of the beasts, right? To see, what if, what if Daniel had given up at that point in the dream? What if he had awoken and said, ah, I don't want to watch anymore. I don't want to see anymore. I don't want to endure. I can't stand another moment. What if Daniel had given up at that moment? We wouldn't know. We wouldn't know. But just like Daniel, you are being invited to see beyond the kingdoms of the beast with eyes of faith to notice that another court has been established That even while ruin rules the day, God has taken his seat on the throne. And therefore, you can live a righteous life in ruin because suddenly the responsibility and the weight of that is gone from your shoulders. It is no longer our responsibility to defeat the lion or to hunt the bear or to crush the leopard. Those ruinous kingdoms are merely the context in which we were designed to bear witness to another kingdom. To bear witness to the righteousness of God. So, follower of Jesus, beloved of the Lord, don't lose heart. In whatever place you feel powerless over evil. And can we apply that very, very specifically today? Where is the space in your life where you feel powerless over evil? Maybe for some, it's your workplace. Man, there's a lion and a leopard where I go to work, let me tell you. <laughs> Maybe for some, it's your neighborhood, the community that you live in. Maybe for some, it's in very, very close and intimate relationships where you just, you sense the reign of ruin. Wherever it might be, where you feel powerless over evil, where you hear the chants and the cheers of the crowd, where you feel the oppression and you're wondering, how am I going to endure? Would you dare to believe this today? Would you dare to believe that God has designed you to overcome and to reign with him in authority? Yes, that all the kingdoms of this earth will be made a footstool for your Savior, Jesus Christ. And that for all eternity, for all eternity, 
you will be welcomed into his presence. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. Enter now, not into your dwelling place, not into some spot that I reserved for you. Let me know if you need any help. No, no, no. That's not what the Lord says to his faithful servants. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter now into your reward. 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 Would you dare to believe that today? Yes. You've been, you've been hit by evil. You've been punched. You've been kicked. You've been crushed. You've been hurt. You've been destroyed. You've been downtrodden in the vision. We didn't read this, but it talked about the beast crushing, crushing righteousness under his feet. You're like, I know what that feels like. I know what that feels like. I know what that feels like. That's what my life has been. And would you dare to believe that God says, enter into your reward? Thank you, Lord. In Daniel's vision, it's very clear. He saw many seats. Only one was occupied. Only one was occupied. Would you dare to believe that there's a place of rest and honor for you? awaiting in heaven's kingdom. Did you ever wonder about that? Did you ever wonder, as children often do, what, what, what will heaven be like? Well, I hear the, the streets are made of gold. I'll bet that gets slippery when it rains. <laughs> well, I, I heard there's big gates and some trees. It's apparently a river. I hope there's fish in it. <laughs> Did you ever wonder what, you know, I think every kid who's ever been to Sunday school has had the thoughts that I had when I was in Sunday school. Eternity? That sounds boring. <laughs> you know, like what are we going to do? And then, and then some, some well-intentioned Sunday school says, oh, teacher says, we're, we're going to worship him for all eternity. And in my six-year-old mind, I think, you know what? I'm having trouble getting through the 20 minutes on Sunday morning. <laughs> Did you ever wonder, what, what are we, we going to do? I'm not prepared to answer that question today. <laughs> I don't want to outpump my coverage here today. I don't have all the answers on that. But, but would you dare to believe what the Word of God says? That you aren't just going to be rescued and filed away in some paradise. You aren't going to be entrant number 24601 into the kingdom of, you know, and filed away and, oh, look, there's an angel and some other guy. No, 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 no. There's a place of victory for you. There's a place of honor for you. There's a place of restoration for you. And here's how I know it. Because the one who created you designed you for it. He designed you for it. He made you for it. And all the hurt, and all the pain, and all the crush, and all the ruin that you have experienced in this life, it's gone. And suddenly, all of creation sees what God saw when he formed you in your mother's womb. And it was for a place of honor. It was for a place of victory. It was a place where he could say, come, be seated with me. As we sit over all of creation. Would you believe that with me today? Father, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you for your word. We hear your spirit today say to us, stand strong, saints of God, for the day of righteousness is coming. Stand strong, saints of God, when the beast comes to devour, when the beast comes to crush. Stand strong, saints of God, for there awaits for you a reward, a restoration, not just to what was, but to what you haven't even begun to imagine yet. Lord, every person in this room was designed, engineered by your goodness to reign with you in heaven. Peel away the layers of of sin, both from our own lives and from that which we've inherited from our ancestors that just has crusted us over and made us unable to see that in ourselves. Lord, peel it away today, we ask. Help us to see what you saw as you knit us together, fearfully and wonderfully made, your word says. God, some of us don't feel very wonderful. Some of us don't feel very righteous. I would suspect there are those in this room in this room who would say, Pastor, that's all well and good, but you've said it several times. It's all about being righteous. And let me tell you right now, I haven't been very righteous. Lord, would you remind us by your spirit that not one time is it our righteousness that's being referenced here. But we have been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And it is sufficient to cover all. Come and cover your faithful people today. Prepare us, Lord, for a future that we can't possibly imagine. Prepare us for a reality that we can't dare to dream. Visit us with your presence and prepare us. Help us to taste and see that which we were designed for. Forgive us of our sins that we might reign with you for all eternity. And in the meantime, Lord, from this day until the days where our eyes will plainly see all that which you have promised, God, help us to live with a testimony of your righteousness placed even in these kingdoms of ruin. Enable and equip us by the power of your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen Amen. and amen.